Hello, John the Viking Mauser here with the Get Strong or Die podcast. Uh, we're back today with Paul Mauser. He's going to be our guest today. Uh, we have a bunch of topics to uh, go over, and uh, we're going to get right into it. Dear Lord, somehow you roped me into doing this again. We are here at this undisclosed location in parts unknown, and quite frankly, I'm a little bit scared for my life. Let's get right into it, John. What are we going to talk about today? Uh, we have a bunch of things uh, we wrote down here. Um, we're going to talk about uh, some of the lifts that you see on um, social media and, and competitions and whatnot that um, seem to get a pass as far as the form goes or the technique or whatever. And then some of the lifts that um, people are, are just critiquing left and right and uh, tearing people apart for doing. Um, we're also going to do a movie review at the end of this podcast. I say we do it at the beginning. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear the movie review. We're going to do it at the end. Um, we're also going to do a, a segment about the weight doesn't matter. Um, I don't want to spoil that too much in, in, uh, at the beginning here, but we're basically going to talk about um, the weights at competitions and why the specific weights don't always matter. Um, then we're going to get into a couple stories from our days uh, in pro wrestling in the early 2000s. That's merely speculation. And then uh, we're going to go over some uh, martial arts stuff. We had uh, Last week we had Devin uh, on the podcast. He's a jiu-jitsu guy. We're going to talk a little bit about martial arts and elaborate on some stuff there. Man, Devin is a cool dude. I uh, I like that guy. We we have a little group chat that goes on uh, with, with everybody that's... Uh, you know, a, uh, a Mauser athlete or, or associated with the Mauser brand. And so there's, there's like a f- freaking thousand people in the chat now. But uh, Devin made a good impact. The, uh, the the first time he, I think he uh, posted in the chat, he went ahead and chastised the King Brothers for getting uh, pwned by yours truly in the open weight rite of passage competition. And uh, he revived the, uh, he revived that fire. Um, that I'm sure burned deep in the bellies of the King Brothers. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait till uh, December rolls around and we'll have um, Rite of Passage. Uh, this is the fourth one, I believe. And um, we'll have Rite of Passage 4. It'll be the rematch. Paul Mauser versus the Kings. Maybe Mark Carpenter will come back and get in the fray. And uh, again, we're looking this year at Rite of Passage. Uh, no weight classes. One, one giant open class. I freaking love it. And uh, speaking of Mark Carpenter, I heard from him today. Mark, Mark uh, messaged me today. Looks like Mark is going to be coming to Strongest Man in the Forest on September 29th. He is jacked up about the steel bar bending there. So Mark's a big fan of uh, you know old-time strongman stuff and uh, ancient feats of strength like natural stone lifting and so on and so forth. So he is just all kinds of pumped up for uh, Strongest Man in the Forest. As he should be, uh, I know a lot of people don't like the steel bending, but I think that's, um, you know, that's the essence of strongman. That's one of the one of the key players there, in my opinion. Um, we'll we'll talk about that in you know more in depth, I'm sure, later on in another podcast. I think, uh, you know, I think if you were um, in a foreign country and got uh, abducted and tossed in a cell, and you had to figure out how to escape that cell. And you were, you know, you had to bend the bars to get out of that that cell. I don't think that your seated incline dumbbell press would help you in the endeavor. But your steel bar bending 
may do the trick. <laughs> it might it might get you out. But the unfortunate news is if um, the security camera caught you uh, bending the bars on the way out and that made it onto social media, um, you would be chastised for the dangers of bending the bars and how you probably should have just stayed in the cell. It was a lot safer that way. <laughs> Stay in the cell. Stay in the damn cell. You're, you're going you're gonna to tear something. You're going to... You're going to get a subdermal hematoma. <laughs> yeah, because for whatever reason, the people on the internet are all of a sudden concerned with everybody else's safety. <clears throat> um, anyway, enough of that. Let's get into the into the hot topics here. Uh, so some lifts get a pass is one of the things we wanted to talk about. And um, this kind of goes on along with what we were saying um, just a moment ago about people chastising people. Uh, online with some of their lifts and this happens you know quite frequently and the form police will uh, jump in there and attack people for certain lifts but they but they don't seem to uh, say much about certain other lifts uh, would you like to elaborate on some of that yeah I would but first you know we have been sitting here for a few minutes now and you have not made one comment about these comfortable chairs that I provided for the get stronger die podcast today how comfortable are these chairs John the chair's pretty comfortable, although I am a little concerned um, with the integrity of the chair and uh, how much longer it's going to support me sitting in it. Well, uh, how, try this. Don't weigh 150 kilos. <laughs> did, did you see how I, I made myself sound more international there? <laughs> I, I did, yes, very very Canadian of you. I, I went straight into kilos. <laughs> bypassed pounds, bypassed freedom units, straight <laughs> to kilos. But yeah, so... Certain feats or lifts or whatever exercises, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, they seem to get a pass when it comes to the critiques of the masses on social media. Whereas others, you know, if you're, um, if there is the slightest deviation in what you're doing, people seem to jump all over it. So, example, you tend to see a lot of criticism on squat videos. Some, some folks, you know, they design high squats into their programming for whatever, whatever their reasons may be. It doesn't matter what the reasons are. Yeah, actually, uh, Ray Williams has done this before, and um, he talks about it, I believe, on his Instagram account, um, about how he, he squats a little bit high in training and that he'll, uh, you know, he, he says, hey, I, I, I have no doubt I'll hit depth in competition or whatever. And uh, despite what the internet experts would say, I would say he does a great job of that. Yeah, I think he's missed a couple here and there, but uh, I, you know his his batting average is pretty good. He has yeah he has a great batting average on getting those white lights when he needs to, and he's got the world records to prove it. Speaking of Ray Williams, here's an exclusive. I didn't even plan to drop this. This is exclusive stuff. I'm not kidding. Nobody besides the people in this room and probably Jerry Handley um, are privy to this information. Uh, we have Ray Williams coming to Viking Performance Training this year. And that, that'll be uh, in um, December as well, right? Or January? That will be in December, I believe, on the 9th. Uh, Power for a Purpose is going to be on the 8th. So Big Ray is going to be in attendance at Power for a Purpose, and he will be doing a powerlifting seminar the very next day. This is the first time it has been mentioned publicly. I didn't even know if I wanted to bring it up, John, but since this is the Get Strong or Die podcast, 
you don't get any stronger than Ray Williams, so I'm dropping that bomb right now. Yeah, and this is the first time, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is the first time um, that we've had an elite-level powerlifting seminar at uh, Viking Performance. So we've had a lot of strong men, uh, strong women, stuff like that, but I think this is the first elite powerlifter, basically powerlifter only, that's uh, done a seminar, right? Yeah, we, we've, we've had basically everything except, uh, you know, a, a powerlifting seminar there. We've had tons of uh, strongman, strongwoman seminars, Olympic lifting. We had, uh, you know, Suzanne Leathers has been, has come in. Um, gosh, we, we've had so many other things, but, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're bringing in Ray. We, when we did a powerlifting seminar, we wanted to do it big. We wanted to go straight to the top, and you don't get any higher on the totem pole than Ray. So these high squats, whatever someone's reason may be for doing a high squat, they post it on social media, and sometimes they even list, they'll even put the caveat in the caption on the video that will say, I realize these are a bit high. And without fail, it doesn't matter, without fail, somebody will get on there and feel the need to let them know that their squat was high. Yeah, you see it all the time. Um, yeah, and, and sometimes it might be uh, warranted. You know, you, if you follow like quarter squat gang or something on Instagram, <clears throat> some of these people are uh, doing these garbage squats. You know, and, and they're not justifying it in the uh, in the, the 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 post itself. They're not saying, "Hey, we're doing this because of X Y Z." You know, they're just a garbage post. And if if you want to, you know chastise that person sure i guess it's open game i don't find it personally that i'm going to waste my time telling somebody on their own page like anything i really don't care right but i can see where they're coming from but there are a lot of people especially the people that actually compete that are squatting above and they'll say hey i didn't hit you know competition depth and then 95 people will jump into the comments and berate them for it or, or you know whatever as if it's any of their business to begin with. And then, um, you know, usually they have a lie, a sentence or two in the, in the post itself. It, and that's the only context they have, but they still feel like they need to insert their two cents into the situation. Yeah. Like this, uh, like this champion lifter that's, uh, you know, set records or done whatever, you know, they, they need, they, they need the internet to tell them that their squat was not to depth. <laughs> they do. They need the, they need the masses to intervene now this step in, let them know. This is a whole separate issue, but it reminds me of something pretty hilarious. Uh, lifter in the UK, female lifter, um, uh, posted an incredible deadlift video. Um, she's a world record holder in the deadlift and, and is going to completely annihilate her own world record soon um, based on her training videos. And, of course, you know, she posts this incredible video. I mean, absolutely stunning. I, I can't remember exactly what the... What, what the uh, poundage was but of course somebody had to get on there and say hey you could lift more if you widened your stance (laughs) and you know it was one of those like palm to forehead moments where it's like do you realize you're talking to a legitimate world record holder of course not now there's uh, additional you know issues that go along with that because female lifters tend to get it a lot worse than male lifters Um, that's a whole nother uh, subject to dive into so, you know, besides squats, what are, what are some other ones that, uh, you know, people just tend to jump all over and sink their teeth into? Well, any of the big ones, um, 
you know, bench press seems to be the least, but uh, deadlift, you know, you get these uh, these people that, you know, all oh, you shouldn't round your back or you shouldn't, uh, your hips are too high and all this other stuff like that. And, um, you know, despite all the evidence that the best deadlifters in the world have a slightly rounded upper back and start the lift with high hips, um, people still say that they should be squatting their deadlift or doing whatever, you know, whatever the people that aren't lifting as much as them are doing, <laughs> they, <laughs> they, they want them doing that for whatever reason. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, you see it all the time with, with the deadlift. At least I see it all the time. Are you saying that, uh, are you saying that Brian Shaw shouldn't take advice from strong lifter dude, three thirty four on Instagram? I mean, strong lifter. I mean, I get most of my advice from strong lifter. Dude. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I just, and you know, I, I doubt, you know, they get those guys like Brian Shaw, half Thor and all them, they're getting, uh, you know, hundreds, hundreds of comments under everything they post. I mean, it could be, it's like a picture of half Thor eating spinach and he'll have 200 comments. And, uh, I, I doubt <laughs> is, they're is half Thor a big fan of spinach. Uh, is that the secret to his Icelandic power? Uh, now I don't know. Uh, since he started the vertical diet, but I know before, um, my God is spinach vertical. Uh, spinach may be horizontal, <laughs> but the, he was eating, he was part of his diet was he'd eat a bag of spinach a day. He'd eat the whole bag. He would just sit and eat a, a, like the, the, you know, the big <laughs> bag of spinach you buy for a salad. He would just eat that. Um, so yeah, he likes his spinach. Uh, I don't know if that derives from Popeye or what, or who, who's giving this advice to him, but he did. But anyway, so he'll get a hundred some comments. I doubt he's even reading what Strong Lifter three one zero has to say. You know, Brian Shaw isn't reading that comment. I'm wondering if the person that posts the comment even like realizes that. You know, and then and then a lot of these people will actually tag the person. Like, oh, I'm going to give this worthless comment and tag the person. Surely they'll read it, right? <laughs> like, you know, I mean. Come on, you got especially Half Thor, the guy just won uh, all three of the biggest strength events um, in the world. Period, like this year, uh, he's a movie star or a, a television star, and now a movie star. He just did the new uh, Kickboxer or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. um, and somehow, you know, Strong Dude Fifteen thinks that Half Thor is going to read his comment. Why does the number keep changing, John? <laughs> we started at three thirty-four. We went to three hundred one. Now we're on. We're now we're on Strong Lifter Dude Fifteen. Is this three different people, or is it one troll who's using three different accounts? <laughs> Unfortunately, um, you know, trolls breed like gremlins, and there's a lot of them. <laughs> if there's, you know, if there's actually someone listening whose Instagram handle is Strong Lifter Dude Three Thirty Four, I greatly apologize because we just made that up. Um, and get a new Instagram handle because that one sucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely change the handle there. But yeah, they, these people, I don't even know what they're thinking when they, they comment on some of this stuff. Um, it, may, it could be an, an innocent mistake in some situations. Maybe they don't follow the sport. They don't know who these people are. But, you know, when you see enough of them, some of these people have to know. It's just foolish. You know, I don't think anybody got to a 1,000-pound deadlift by accident. That's true, and... uh you know, some people you get this. Well, they're just strong argument that comes up, and this is a this is a big pet peeve. Oh, they're just strong. You know, it, well, isn't that the point? Warning, warning. <laughs> we are about to have a rant. Warning, <laughs> warning. Danger, Will Robinson. I mean, I mean, isn't isn't that the point? Like, just to be strong. 
Um, and, and I point out, one of the things I love to do is to find the people that are doing the best things. And like, you find the best people doing, let's say it's a, a deadlift just for the sake of, and, and you find all the best deadlifters and, and you take and you study their videos and you don't take, and you do this with everything, and you don't take what stands out. You take what is the same across the spectrum, you know? The common denominator. So if there's 10 of the best deadlifters in the world and nine of them are doing something, you don't do what the one is doing. You do what the nine are doing, you know? And then maybe once you've mastered that, if you if you feel it necessary to deviate and try something else, sure, go for it. But your eyes will be drawn to the thing that sticks out. And I think that the people fall for that. But you should really be looking for the things that don't stick out, the things that everybody's doing. And um, I th- I'm, I'm guessing the top athletes do that too. They'll study each other. They'll say, hey, this guy deadlifted 1,000. This guy deadlifted 1,000. I'm going to try and do that. They may even call them or email them or go work out with them and train with them. This didn't happen by accident. And But people say they're just strong. Well, yeah, they're just strong, but they didn't get strong by having poor technique and by not doing the research and by not doing X, Y, and Z. Yeah, because if you if you had terrible technique, you'd never make it to a thousand pounds. You would either your progress would either just stall or you would get hurt or both if you weren't technically sound. You right. can't you can't get to a thousand pounds with bad technique. Yeah, and and maybe just for the sake of argument, maybe you could have poor technique and just be a genetic freak, freaky strong. You're taking all the right supplements, whatever it is. You're you're just strong, right? You might be. Why able... did Why did you wink when you said supplements? <laughs> well, you know the special supplements. Oh yeah. Um, so you could maybe make it to like, you know, world's strongest man, right? How How many people go into the uh, the qualifiers? How, what's the field start with? A thousand. No, it's 30. So you got 30 people. Maybe some of them made it off a of sheer dumb strength and luck, right? Like, <laughs> I'm just strong. I don't know what I'm doing. I showed up. I won nationals. I won this. I won that. I made it, right? I don't okay. think that's and, happened since the 80s, dude. <laughs> and, well, well, that, but, but that's what people are saying. Oh, they're just strong, you know, and you're talking about these people. So what like, benefit of the doubt, they made it. Somehow they made it into the top 30 best in the world just by showing up and being like a farm boy. <laughs> okay. That's fine. I'll accept that argument. But what separates the pack then? Like, what about the guys that make it to the final? Was it just a bunch of people that were like really strong and didn't know it? All 30, none of the 30 know what they're doing. They just showed up. <laughs> they're just really strong. They're just a bunch of cavemen. And then legitimately that's the only thing that separates them no they're all genetic freaks at that point the 30 guys that are in the qualifiers in the finals are all upper echelon alpha males super freaks whatever it is they're all that and the ones the the thing that separates them from that pack of of freaks is the techniques and the know-how and the knowledge and doing things correctly that's what separates the pack. That's why there's 10 guys in the end and 20 go home. And that's where we tie this back mm-hmm. into the criticism of certain lifts and the not so much criticism of others. Because, you know, we don't need to be criticizing Brian Shaw's deadlift because he has high hips. You know what? Clearly it works for him. 
Yeah, and and I would say that um, it works for everyone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all all the thousand pound deadlifters are deadlifting with high hips. Every one of them. All of them. You can't find one that's not. And you know some some of these guys. We won't get into this too much. But some of these guys will drop really low and then come up. But you'll but you'll notice that the bar doesn't move. And the, the lift does not take place until the hips have reached a certain point, and that certain point is usually pretty high. Agreed. Agreed. Indeed. So now, those are... Boy, we really went around the world on that one. <laughs> um, so let, let's let, let's come right back here to this undisclosed location after our trip around the world and talk about some things that are not so heavily criticized and... Maybe some theories on why that might be. So I, you know, I like grip stuff. I like old time stuff, and so I see a lot of this stuff posted. I mean, a lot, you know, a lot of folks listening to this may not uh, be super familiar to, with this, but I'm a big fan of levering sledgehammers. I think it's fun. I do. I do sledgehammer work here. Random stuff that I uh, do probably once a week, mm-hmm. you know, or at least once every couple of weeks. And so when I see a, when I see a cool sledgehammer video, I'm going to check it out. And I see a lot of uh, sledgehammer levers that aren't so great um, as far as, okay, that would not pass in a, uh, you know, an, a competition or if you're trying to set a record or something like that, you know. Um, and people tend not to jump all over that. And I'm not saying they should. I'm definitely not saying they should. Um but it's just interesting to me that if you, you know, you post a squat video and it's not, you know, IPF level perfect, these people will crawl out of the woodwork to criticize it. But you could pretty much do whatever you wanted to with a sledgehammer and call it a lever and nobody tends to say a word. Is it something to do with the culture there? What, what, what's, the, what's the difference? Um, well, I think... For, for the for the general masses, the big difference is that they're not familiar with any organization that recognizes that as a lift. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, the strength community has been, um, they don't think for themselves anymore. They're, they're told how to think. And, and they, these federations, like a powerlifting federation, you hear it all the time. Like, well, that's not a real squat. You didn't hit parallel. Well, what what is parallel? Every federation has a different, guideline for what's parallel you know um and then the only reason it's parallel was because some federation needed a guideline to judge this with it actually has nothing to do with what's the best way to train the squat it's what's the best way to judge the squat so you could argue that it's not that that uh the the way that the powerlifting federations have you squatting isn't even the best way to build strength i mean i would say that it probably is but that is not why it was designed that way. It was they they had training was not in mind when they set these guidelines up. It was merely so the judges had an easy way to say, hey, that was good or bad. And with something like a hammer lever, most people are not familiar with any organization or, or body or whatever that gives guidelines for the hammer lever. So they don't know. Nobody's told them how to how to judge this. So it's really uh uh a, a less of a lack of understanding uh, amongst the masses as to what's actually supposed to happen. That's sort of protecting people who are doing, you know, posting their training lifts from this uh, insane amount of criticism. 
yeah, it is protecting them um, from unneeded uh, criticism. A lot of the time it's unneeded. Uh, but sometimes that criticism also actually does help. So it, it's also um, that lack of criticism is also keeping their their technique or their form uh, to a subpar standard because of that. You know, well, I would, I would argue that uh, criticism is best when it's actually asked for, when it's requested, when someone mm-hmm. says, hey, uh, you know, the, what's the famous line? Now, form check, form check, everybody. Right. You know, um, if you're, you know, if you're calling for the form check, if you're saying, hey, how does this look? Hey, would this pass competition? Mm-hmm. Then that, that opens things up for uh, preferably constructive uh, criticism. A lot of the times what we see is not constructive. Um, chatted with uh, chatted with my buddy Tuan today about uh, you know people um, being less than constructive with criticism towards uh, towards people online and and all that kind of uh, nasty stuff. But you know the way I see it, if someone is posting a training video, unless they're trying to claim that it's some kind of world record, unless they're you know unless they're talking trash and look how wonderful I am that I did this amazing feat. You know, I'm probably not going to criticize them. I might offer some tips, uh, it, you know, if it's somebody that I feel comfortable having that banter with. Um, but but I'm not going to say, hey, that didn't, that was not a competition lift, you know, because guess what? So what what some guy does in his basement, I don't, I I, I really don't care, you know. He may he may be doing it that way for a particular purpose. And come competition day, we'll find out if his methods worked or not. Well, you know, that's, that's really, I think, a big part of the problem, too, is that um, for some reason online, these people, um, and they'll spin it like it's in the person's best interest. So they'll spin it like, hey, I'm bad mouth and you're dogging you for your own good. But that's really not the case. At least I don't, I don't believe it's the case. These people want to be online and they want to sound smart. And they want to feel superior, and they want to believe that they that they're the authority, right? And they can do that because there's that safety space of the internet. Like, there's this distance between the person that you're talking to in that regard. If if you were actually at the gym doing this, chances are they would approach you in a very different manner. You know, um, it's just like you know when you're driving and somebody's in their car, they'll they'll flip you off. But had you been standing in line in an amusement park, they'd have shut their mouth. <laughs> I, I think this is probably more true for you than it is for me because you look a little more intimidating than I do. <laughs> That's a possibility. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, you know, a lot of it has to do with just that safety of the internet. And, and I don't understand why they, they can't possibly care about the person that they're commenting on the post. Cause I don't care what anybody's doing. You know what I mean? Like I don't, I'm not going to watch a video and if they're doing it right or wrong, I don't care. I, I actually, you know, you touched on it earlier, like they might have a reason for it. I don't even think that far into it. I think, yeah, they did that on to the next video. <laughs> like, like I, I don't care if they're doing it wrong. Um, I don't care if they're doing it right. Like, it's just a video to me. I'm watching it and I move on. Unless I am actually doing research on a lift. If I'm watching, you know... Uh, big Z do a log press or something, then I might care, but I don't care enough to comment on his, on his video, you know? Um, it's funny you bring that up because, uh, I specifically recall, uh, before Europe's 
that someone did indeed criticize Big Z's log press training. Someone actually commented on one of his press videos and said that his reps were no good. <laughs> the, the greatest presser, and especially log presser, of all time, the guy who is so far ahead of the pack that second place isn't even close, was criticized for his log press training. <laughs> yeah, and for what reason? You Like, why did they care? You know, like, why would you even comment? <laughs> and again, I, I don't know if he read it or not. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But their comment probably didn't phase him at all. You know, like, you're... you're. He actually did respond to it and kind of put them in their place. <laughs> it was pretty funny. I imagine that the person commenting on these things and saying these moronic things are commenting more for other commenters to see than the actual poster. Right. If that makes sense. I, I, oh, absolutely. I can't, I can't imagine that they're... I just, I just don't know what goes through these people's minds. It's the same thing with the safety police when they're out there like, oh, you're going to hurt yourself. Why do you care? Like, why do you care if this stranger is doing this thing? You, you don't stop every per- buddy on their way to work in the street and stop them and say, hey, man, you know what the risk of getting in a car wreck today is? <laughs> like, you don't, you don't stop these people in everyday life and say, hey, man, that's dangerous. Like, why do you care? I just don't understand. Like, and then to care enough to waste your time commenting on their video. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think what I'm going to start doing, John, is I'm going to start going to motocross uh, motocross races and informing all of the uh, I, I don't know what the proper term is athletes, uh, competitors, whatever you call uh, mm-hmm. people that you know. Ride bikes and motocross. I'm gonna, I call I, them ghost riders. Ghost rider. I, I'm going to tell. I'm going to tell all the ghost riders um, how dangerous their activity is. Yeah, that, that they have personally chosen to do and accepted the risks of doing. But I feel the need to go tell these people that I don't know. Yeah, and I bet I bet they'll appreciate you for it, and they will drive a lot safer afterwards. Either that, or they'll probably take me out back and beat me to death. <laughs> yeah, you're going to be struck up to the back of a couple motorcycles. They're going to drag me through the mud via motorcycle. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just can't imagine what these people are thinking, especially when it's a stranger. You know, I just, I don't, I don't get it. You know. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, yeah. So this hammer lever um, seems to be one of these lifts that that gets. Uh, gets away with some, you know, deviation from form or whatever. And, and really, I mean it. In the true essence of lifting weights and getting stronger, that's actually fine. Like, you'll still see some benefit from doing a poor hammer lever. Right. It could be an overload technique where you're trying to use, you know, you're trying to use a heavier hammer than what you can handle in a uh, quote-unquote proper technique. So, you know, you, you you let the hand drop a little, you let the elbow bend a little bit, and, you know, do an... Just like you might do like a, a, a two board bench press to get it, you know, to maybe get an overload so you can move a little bit more weight or whatever your reasoning may be for doing that. I think um, a lot of the problem here stems from um, an unnecessary crossover between um, strength sports or sports that involve lifting weights because you'll hear all these people, um, you know, all the, you know, if you do this, you'll work this muscle more. And it's like, well, this isn't bodybuilding. A guy levering a hammer probably doesn't have a bodybuilding show tomorrow. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, if it, this were the 1940s, it very well might be. Yeah, in a different um, lifetime, yeah. But nowadays, I, I don't think. When was the last time you saw Ronnie Coleman lever a hammer? It doesn't, you know. 
So they're not doing bodybuilding. There's something else there. And I think that I think that the mentality, because bodybuilding was very, very popular. It's still pretty popular, but it was very, very popular. Probably the most popular of these type of sports at one point. And a lot of that still bleeds over into these other strength sports. And people think, oh, well, you know, overhead press, that's your shoulders. And you got to, you know, do all this stuff when you're overhead pressing because it's the shoulders. You don't want to lean back because it'll take the pressure off the shoulders. And it's like, well, I lean back because... There's more muscle mass, you'll move more weight. So lean back when you press over your head. And um, <clears throat> the same thing will happen with these hammer levers. You know, oh, you'll work your wrist more if your arm's more parallel to the floor. Well, maybe that's not what you're after. <laughs> maybe you just want to move a real big hammer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and doing it the correct way might not let you do that. You know? Um, now, you could get into an argument of which one's going to have the most benefit. And I would say... In most cases, doing it the correct way will give you the most benefit. But again, that's not always the case because what people are judging these lifts by isn't always, it's not always being judged by the benefits or the results in training. It's being judged simply so that it can be judged. And you have to be aware of that. You have to be smart enough to differentiate those things and say, how's this or this? And um, I have a feeling. That's exactly why this guy was talking to Big Z. He didn't like the way he was pressing and training. And Big Z was pressing and training a certain way that he felt had the best carryover. And he may not press that way at the competition, but maybe the way he presses at the competition doesn't have the best training results. And maybe that's why he's the big secret he knows. That's why he's the best presser. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it could be a number of things. So why, why comment? And if you are going to comment, why not pose it as a question? Why? Why are? Why are you doing this? Why do you prefer this? Yeah, ra rather than rather than trying to pretend you know more about log pressing than Zavikas, you know, why not? Yeah, post it as a question. Find out. Ask the man. Yeah, and, and you know, you'd probably get a better response because when people are reading the comments, they're going through as fast as they can. You know, Big Z, you said he put him in his place, but it was probably like one sentence. That's they go, all he needed. Yeah, well, you know, they go through these comments fast. I know that I don't have nearly the followers they do, but I know when I'm reading the comments, I respond quickly because I got to go through all these comments, right? But if somebody sends me a private message, I have a tendency to answer the question better. So if you're really that concerned about it, why comment on the video? Message the guy. Talk to him like a human being. Or better yet, he's going to be in the U.S. in what, November? Mm -hmm. Go to the seminar and ask him. I think... Um, Chris Vaccio up at his place is having him in, right? Some, yeah, some... I think uh, I think he's uh, going to be at Chris's place. I think he's going to be at John Ward's place in Maryland. A um, few other places picked him up too. And one or two of those places is even offering like a dinner thing where you go to dinner with the guy. Go dinner with the guy and ask him. <laughs> okay, now this may this may sound um, this may sound a little uncharacteristic. I do not want to go to dinner with Big Z. Well, you got to explain. You got to explain this. I don't know what there is to explain. Let's face it. If you go to dinner with Big Z, there's not going to be any food left for you. <laughs> That's true. And quite frankly, I don't want to just sit there and watch the man eat while I remain hungry. That's true. And if if he gives you the look, you know you're going to have to give up your plate. <laughs> <laughs> you, you may have a plate. You may have a stacked plate. Of prime rib, but if you know, if Z gives you the eye, you better be giving up that plate, <laughs> or he may stuff you inside of his log, his log of undisclosed weight, and uh, 
press you for reps that'll be criticized on the internet. Yeah, and then, and then that's another thing. All you got all these people in a pan a panic, like a true panic, desperate to know what Big Z's log weighs. Who cares? Who cares what Big Z's log weighs? I gotta admit, I kind of care. <laughs> I got caught up in this whole thing. I got caught up in the drama. Caught up in the suspense. Log gate. 2018 we had to know what the log weighed we had to know what his training reps were like i gotta tell you i didn't care i mean you can look at it and see plates as far as the eye can see on both sides of the thing (laughs) you know and then he went to the um uh europe's uh, the log thing and you know he pressed um what was uh, what was the final weight he got? It was pretty uh, big. I I think he I think he took two hundred kilos and, and bowed out, which is about four forty one. Yeah. Um and that's when it matters, is that the competition. I don't care what the guy does in his basement or wherever he's at, you know, like who cares? I look at the video, I move on. You know, I don't get tied up in this stuff. I really don't care what the weight was. Um, unless it's something um that you're probably not gonna see in the competition, some weird thing, you know, if he's I don't know. I can't even think of a good example right now, but if he was doing something really wacky and maybe I might care, you know what it was or whatever, but I, I just, I don't really care about that stuff. I kind of watch it. You're like, Hey man, this is the strongest guy, probably the greatest strong man of all time. And he's doing something. He's not half-assing it. It's a lot of weight. Let's move on. <laughs> do you think big Z can do cartwheels after his lifts like iron Bibby? <laughs> and, and if he did so, would it increase his popularity? I'm going to say no, and that yes, it would if he could. <laughs> <laughs> how, how would those cartwheels look uh, in his patented leggings that he, that he tends uh, to lift in? I would say if he could do it in those leggings, he would look better than Iron Bibby does doing it. Really? I, I think so, yeah. I think this needs to happen. I, I think somebody somewhere needs to organize a, uh, a contest where cartwheels are required. Book Savickas... Book Bibby, get him in the same place, same time. Log press for max weight doesn't count unless you cartwheel afterwards. Can we set this up with the washing machine throw or the dryer throw? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Guinness. Guinness Book of World Records. They're the only ones wacky enough to pull this off, so we got to call them. But, um, so anyway, you have any more to say about the, the hammer levers and the, um, the, the list getting a pass or not getting a pass? Only thing I have to say is that we are 38 minutes into the podcast and we have not touched on the movie review. <laughs> We're going to do the movie review last. Damn it. We got to talk about this. We both saw the movie. We saw Super Troopers 2. We both saw it. I get to go to a movie about twice a year uh, because that's just my life. And we need to talk about this, but we can put it off till later. What else? Do we, what else are we going to talk about? Um, we have the weight doesn't matter. Uh, that's that's um, a good one since we were just kind of talking about that. Um, <clears throat> so well, the weight doesn't matter. And uh, Paul and I were talking about this earlier. Um, people seem to be obsessed with the weights of the implements or the bars or whatever they're using in competition to an unhealthy degree. Um, and I would say that a Probably more than half the time, the weight doesn't matter. Yeah, there there are a lot of events where literally the weight doesn't matter. What, what do we mean by that? What are we talking about here? Let's take an event like a Hercules hold, okay? 
And, and I say that because I have a story that goes along with it. I did a Hercules Hold event at the Big Phil Classic up in Ohio with our, our, our buddy Chris Vaccio, uh back in 2017. Hercules Hold event. I won the event. I, I It was uh, pr- probably my, my best event that day. And someone asked me after the competition, what was the weight? I told them, I don't know. And they were shocked. They said, wait, what? What do you mean you don't know? What do you mean you don't know what the weight was? I said, I don't know. I won I won the event. That's what matters, right? Yeah. I did what I needed to do to win the event. And the weight, it 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 had no bearing. And you know, the, the person I was chatting with, they, they, they almost couldn't believe it. And they said, what, what do you mean? You, you didn't look at the entry form to see what the weight was? And I said, no, I don't, I don't even know if the weight was listed on the entry form because I didn't even know, you know, I didn't, I'm not even sure if he knew exactly what apparatus they were going to be using a, until we showed up. And we used um, uh, Lee Woody brought up his gigantic um, Hercules hold apparatus, which is really cool. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know that it could fit, you know, um, I don't know that it could fit in my living room. It's so big. Uh, it's a really cool apparatus. But how would, in what way, would having a a number on that Hercules hold have helped me in training? I don't have that apparatus. I don't have that exact apparatus. So knowing what the weight was, it doesn't matter. Basically, I just had to show up with a stronger grip than the other guys. Yeah, with a with a you know, and and there's different types of grip strength. So I'm talking about a a a closed hand supporting grip strength. So in training for that in training for that contest, I did work to improve my closed fist supporting grip strength. Mm-hmm. And I showed up. I won the event. It was it was it was my best event that day. Uh, my buddy, um, oh lord, uh, um. Josh, my buddy Josh, uh, won the won the overall. He won the contest, and you know was clearly the better strongman that day. But I got him on the Hercules hold. I got him on that one, um, and and he he mopped the floor with me on some other events because he because he's hell of a strongman, um, and I'm not. But <laughs> but that that one was a victory for me, and I didn't need to know what the weight was. I just had to show up with a stronger supporting closed fist grip grip than everybody else did. And and I I managed by by hook or by crook somehow I managed to do that. And knowing what the poundage on the apparatus was had no bearing on how I trained for it. Yeah, um so let's break this down. I think um when you have uh an event <clears throat> at a strongman competition with an apparatus that isn't readily um accessible Right, like almost every Hercules hold is different. Almost yeah. every Conan's wheel is different. Except almost. for the Deep Waters brand Hercules hold available at MauserPower.com. Yeah, so they're they're all different, and Conan's wheels are different, and and you know, um, man, there's a bunch of different stuff. People uh, usually will have um, built their own wheelbarrows or wagons or something if those. Are there? You're not going to find two of those anywhere that's the same, um, unless somebody's using like a, a Louis Simmons war wagon or something. Um, so it doesn't matter what the weight is because it's not going to be the same. You're not going to end up with the same weight in hand. You're not going to end up um, with the same friction of the wheels on this thing moving forward. You're not going to end up with the same lever arms. 
uh, the same diameters. You're, you're just not going to end up with anything being the same. So it's useless to say, well, my Conan's wheel is 500 pounds in competition, so I'm going to do 500 pounds on mine. It doesn't make any, it doesn't make any sense. What you should be doing is, is just trying to train to be the strongest Conan's wheel carrier of all time. And knowing what the weight in competition is, is, is it's, it's a mute point. It's irrelevant. And, uh, uh, yeah, completely irrelevant. And there are plenty of, and to prove a point, there are plenty of people that were doing this stuff and training for stuff long before competition. People were been training for stuff just to live their life or, you know, or just to be strong. And they never had a comp, they had never had a sign up sheet that said, Hey, you got to do 500 pounds in six months. It was just, I'm going to do the most of something possible in my lifetime. And they would do it, you know, good examples like, uh, like, like Paul Anderson with the um, 1,200 pound squat. That was never in a competition. It was never written down. Hey, you got to squat this in this year. He was like, I'm going to be the greatest squatter of all time, and that's what he came up with. It's the same with powerlifting. You don't sign up for powerlifting, and there's a number on the sheet, and you you just train to squat the most, and you show up and you squat the most. You don't you don't need um, the the weight doesn't matter in those regards, and then. Um, then you have certain other events where the weight might matter uh, just a little bit. Like let's say it is something like a uh, squat or something on a bar or a barbell press and everybody's got a barbell or whatever. It may come into play a little bit more there. Um, you know. But I think the way that it should come into play there is more or less if you're really far behind and you look at that competition and you go, man, that's going to be a PR for me. Then you look at that weight and you say, now you have a goal. And you're using it more as a goal than as a way to structure your training. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. It, it, may, it makes total sense. And, and sometimes, sometimes that goal is very lofty. And sometimes that goal is very much in reach. Yeah, but you're shooting high. And you're like, hey, I'm going to get this PR in, in competition or whatever. Now, if it's not a PR... Let's say it's like uh, an overhead press, and it's a weight that you've uh, that you do regularly in training. Then that weight probably doesn't matter. Why would it matter? You should just be trying to lift as much as possible again. And then when you go and you lift this weight that is not as much as possible for you, you will just do as many reps as possible and probably win the event. That makes far too much sense. <laughs> so you run it. You run into the problem where people say oh well you know if i i need i need to train for endurance i got to train for endurance if it's you know if i'm going to get a bunch of reps i got to train for endurance so i got to you know i got to keep hammering all these 20 reps uh sets of presses to to get ready for for the endurance um you know it's generally especially for like a pressing event it's going to be 60 seconds no one can say 60 seconds is endurance if you know you know, if you've if you've opened a book on exercise physiology, <laughs> if you understand anything about energy systems, you can't call sixty seconds of effort endurance. You can't, and um, well, I think it's part of the problem. A lot of these people aren't reading anything; um, <clears throat> they're just listening to whatever guys in the gym that benches the most. And uh, but yeah, you're exactly right. This is not it, it, sixty seconds is not an endurance event, even if the reps are high. It's not an endurance event. If you can get 15 reps in a minute, 
that's still not true endurance. Now, you might think it is because you're, you know, terribly out of shape or the weight's really heavy, but it's not endurance. And it's been proven time and time again, and not just in competition and in in these uh, studies and stuff. Um, I, I could cite some if, if I was able to Google it right now, but the person with the highest one rep max also can do the most reps with X percentage of said max. Yeah, that I mean, that that's basic stuff. Basic but, stuff. But you see it all the time in Instagram and Facebook and the, and the YouTubes, and they're all, you know, well, I'm much better at reps than I am at maxing, or, or the other, well, I'm much better at maxing than I am at reps. No, you're not. May, small percentage, maybe. I, I, you know, there's probably some exceptions to that rule. I'll give it to you. But there's a reason there's like a, reps, a rep max chart. And, and that it's not always spot on, but it's usually within a rep or so. And there's a reason it exists is because it's accurate. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why people actually use that for their training. I mean, um, I know that a lot of um, like collegiate strength and conditioning coaches um, refer to those charts that are set up and say, well, this is your one rep max at you know 90%. You can do this many reps, 80%. You can do this many reps. And they use that a lot in the way that they train. And there's a reason for that. Because it's accurate for most people. Now that so, that chart, you know, the I, I will throw on the asterisks here that those charts uh, become less accurate as the reps increase. Um, so you know you can't you can't look at a twenty five rep max and determine a one rep max. Yeah, up to about ten reps, eight eight or ten reps, they're still pretty accurate. Once once you start digging deep into the double digits, you start to lose all the accuracy there. But again, most uh, most strongmen, most powerlifters, I mean, they're not doing sets much more than, than over ten. Um, I think uh, like Lily Bridge is known for doing like you know such a twelve on his accessory work stuff with like leg press and all that. Oh, you talking about like yeah, like but, lateral raises? He's doing sets of twelve. <laughs> yeah, but most uh, of your top strongmen and, and powerlifters and stuff are not doing the reps they would even know at their maxes. They're not doing over 10 or 12 usually. Usually, um, There are exceptions to that rule. Of course, um, you know, Martins was doing uh, 20 rep squats and stuff like that. But uh, most of the time, you know, the chart's going to be accurate. And, and it's going to be accurate. And so the weight in the competition doesn't matter as long as you can increase your max load. If you can increase your max load, your reps at a sub-max load also go up. That's how that works. Yeah, and I've I've got to wonder what the what the mindset is. You know the the, the people that really obsess over the weight. So you know let's take that uh, let's take that Conan's wheel for example. And you, you have this arbitrary number that says four hundred pounds. Okay. Well, in in my brain, four hundred pounds doesn't sound like a lot. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna say on. On Conan's wheel apparatus uh, X Y Z that I have that I've used before. Well, heck, I did 700, and it wasn't that bad. So 400 is going to be a piece of cake. So when you have that knowledge, does that just mean you're not going to bother to train it? Or what you know, what bearing does that have on how you prepare for it? Are you just going to be like, eh? Well, it's not going to be that bad. So whatever. But then. What happens if you were to ignore that and you show up on contest day and you realize, oh shit, this person's Conan's wheel apparatus is much more difficult 
than mine, and the number that they gave me has no reflection on the actual difficulty because of the way the leverages are, because of the thickness of the of the bar, whatever it may be, because of where the uh, where the weight is located on the lever arm, and suddenly 400 pounds feels like what you think 800 pounds should feel like, and you bomb the event. Yeah, you see it all the time. I mean, I've been to pretty big events before, and you'll see people complaining after an event, like, oh, I got, you know, in training, I got four rotations. I only got two today. And you hear that all the time. And you know, a lot of time it's just excuses, but also there's a reason for that because it's not the same. And you have to understand that. And, um, you know, some of these people are in a big push for standardizing all this stuff or whatever. I think that's, I'm against standardization of strongman, but because of this reason, this exact reason, I want to go and, and just do a Conan's wheel. I don't care what it weighs. I want it to be hard. I want to do it and hopefully win it. I don't care what the weight is. You're, um, you're training to win the event, not training to perform with a specified number. Yeah, I mean, what does it matter? You know, I, I'm going to post the video on my Instagram of me doing this Conan's wheel, and you can tell by the look on my face and the way that I'm moving is difficult. I, I probably won't even post the weight on the video. Why do I? There's no point. There's no point to post the video. I say, hey, Conan's wheel, I placed third, it was heavy. You know, hashtag go me. Like, you know, that's, that's just what it is. I, I, there's no, the weight is completely, completely and utterly irrelevant. Third place, you're really, you're kind of selling yourself self short there. <laughs> so what you, you know, what you could do, and we're harping on the Conan's wheel for some reason here. It just kind of, it just kind of happened that way. We can take the load on the lever arm move it all the way towards the base and we can put 5,000 pounds on the Conan's wheel and then we can carry it and say that we did a 5,000 pound Conan's wheel, right? Right. And then we can show up in contest and do a 400 pound Conan's wheel and get completely fucking owned. Yeah. Yeah, because of the lever arm and the weight in arm. And then we can say, that apparatus is bullshit. I did 5,000 pounds on my apparatus at home. <laughs> and that's what they would say. When it when the weight was irrelevant to begin with, you know, and you see the same thing with a single finger. When I trained for um, uh, USS Nationals a couple years ago, when it was in Kentucky, and um, they had a single finger event there, and there's not a lot of places with a single finger, so most I would suspect a lot of people didn't even wasn't able to train specifically for that event. And um, but I was lucky enough. We have a single finger at Viking Performance. That's Viking Performance Training in Morgantown, West Virginia. And it's like, what, 14 feet tall or longer at yeah. the longest setting. And the weight sits in the end of it. It's really hard. Um, it kind of wobbles a little bit. It's just, it's hard. And it's narrow. And it's it's probably the toughest um, finger finger probably ever anywhere, period. And I would not argue that one bit. It is, it, it is a soul crusher. And I would train on soft ground. It was like dirt and mulch, you know, flipping it back and forth. And, and I didn't have people setting the tires up for me. I did it all myself. I did it the hard way, the hardest way possible. And then um, because I assumed at USS Nationals this would be stupid heavy. And I get to Nationals and it turned out to be a speed event. I, I don't think there was a single person there that didn't complete the event, like the, that didn't get um, five reps. 
it was it was five reps or sixty seconds. You know, most re- and, and and I and I'm not a fast dude, and I got five flips. <laughs> you know, because the the finger was um, it was like a stickier uh, texture, so you mm-hmm. didn't have to worry about slipping as much. Um, it was much shorter. I think it was like ten feet tall. Like it, it may not have even been ten feet tall. Um, it wasn't much taller than I am. Um, and the weight was. And you're only about nine feet tall, so. Yeah, around, around nine. We're nine and a half. And uh, the the way that the weight was in it had chains running through it, so the weight wasn't all in one end like the one that I had been using. So the finger finger was way easier. It was just you know, and. Uh, and I don't know if I would have known that. Well, theoretically, if I would have known that, because I, I don't, I wouldn't have changed my training had I known that. But let's say I knew that and I changed my training. I don't know that I would have finished the event because I would have been so concerned with that particular weight. But instead, I was thinking, man, I just want to be the best Fingal Finger person I can be. And um, and then I trained on this ridiculously hard Fingal Finger, and then when I showed up, it was easy. You know, now I didn't win the event, but uh, it was definitely it was probably my second best event there. <laughs> you know, and the weight didn't matter. I couldn't tell you what the weight was. I couldn't tell you the weight of the one I trained with. It doesn't matter. I set the thing as long as it could be, and I put a giant weight in the middle or in the top, the tip of it, and threw. I don't know what it weighs. No clue what it weighs. It doesn't matter because it was incredibly hard, and it made you stronger for doing it. Yeah, and people say, well, if you don't know what it weighs, how do you how do you improve it? Well, I'll just put another weight on it. <laughs> and I don't care what that weighs, you know? I'll either be able to do it or I won't. And if I can't, I'll slightly adjust it. You know, it, it doesn't matter. You just, you make it as hard as possible and you do it. And, um, you know, I think that's another curse going along with, with the, uh, the weight thing. A lot of people get so obsessed with the weight in the competition and think, oh, I got to train with that weight or whatever. And, you see it all the time with like the big ones, especially like the yoke walks and stuff. Anything where you can put six, seven hundred pounds on there, people say, "Oh, I gotta know what it feels like." Um, you know, oh, I'm gonna put a thousand pounds on my back and walk. I just have to know what it feels like before the competition. Well, that sounds good in theory, you know. But really, what are you gonna get out of it? You put the thousand pounds on your back in training, and you pick it. You think it's gonna be great? You think it's gonna be fun? You think it's gonna feel awesome? No, it's gonna be miserable. It's going to be heavy. It's going to hurt. You may get hurt and you're going to take four or five steps with it. And that's that. And you got no training benefit out of it, but you got to feel how it felt. Well, who cares? You know, the, how many people have come to Viking? Um, and I'm talking world champions. You get Phil Fister, we have Martins, we've had uh, Oberst and Kelbeck and all these people come to the gym. And one of the, I don't think anybody said the opposite of this, um, but none of them have said that they do that. In fact, they usually say the opposite. Right. They usually say, hey, I I don't worry about the competition weight. I'm not trying to do that in training. I don't touch competition. Phil Fister said he doesn't touch competition weight in training unless he's just so strong. And he, he said, I think he told us the only thing he's ever done that with was grip because his grip is like above and beyond even even the field that he's in. His, his grip was above all of theirs. And he would do that with grip, but he didn't uh, train with a thousand pound yoke. He said he never picked it up, never picked up a thousand pounds. And then he, he won um, he, he several w- yoke events. Yeah, then he, then he goes and wins a 900 plus pound car carry at World's Strongest Man en route to the title. And yeah, you know, you, you made a great point. All the, uh, 
all these great champions, world champions, you know, that we've had, we've had come here and we've attended these seminars and we've talked to them, you know, face to face and, and got it right from the horse's mouth. You know, Odin Martins, uh, Beck and Oberst, uh, Leif Engels, um, Phil Fister. I mean, the, 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 the list goes on and, you know, uh, Leifa, for example, when she did the, uh, the deadlift at the first, uh, Arnold pro, uh, women's said she never she never touched the deadlift weight in in training, and then she showed up on competition day and did it for what was it eight reps? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because she wasn't training to deadlift that weight. She was training to be the best deadlifter. Right, and it was a big difference. And I think I think that's where a lot of people miss miss the boat. You're you're training to be the best at the event, not the best at lifting X amount of weight. And, and that may sound like the, the same thing, but it's really not. It's your intentions and the way you're training and the way you go about it that sets the difference there. You see it all the time. Yeah. And one one thing that really throws people off is that people in Strongman like the numbers. They are obsessed with the numbers and they forget about the difficulty. So a great example of that is the Deepwaters Hercules Hold. Deep waters, the, the Deep Waters Hercules Hold, the, the Mauser brand Hercules Hold, it's the only one that you can fold up and, and, and put against your wall in the jam. You can toss it in the back of your truck and head down the road with it. You can toss five of them in the back of your truck and head down the road with them. Um, that's the whole point of it is that it, it, it's very portable. It, you know, it saves a lot of space, et cetera, et cetera. But the thing about that is the way that weight is added to that is generally you use full-length barbells and you, because a barbell is so common, every gym has a couple of barbells. That's why it's designed this way. You stick a couple of barbells in the end of it, and you load your weights on those. Well, that means the weight, the leverage of that, is seven feet out away from you on each side. You know, you're, you're, talking, you're talking about a seven-foot barbell, okay? So the weight's almost seven feet out away from you on each side when you start adding plates to that. So when you put a 45-pound plate on that bar you are getting way more than 45 pounds in your hand on the apparatus. People don't like that. People don't like that because they want to put, you know, five plates per side on there and try to tell everybody that they did, you know, a uh, a 300 per hand Hercules hold or whatever it is or whatever kind of garbage that they they want to spew and talk about rather than saying, I want to win the event. Because winning the event is what matters. I can I can sit here and tell you, oh, well, I did 700 per hand uh, Hercules hold because the apparatus was rigged up to let me do that. And it doesn't matter. That 700 per hand doesn't make me stronger than anybody else. Winning the event makes me stronger than somebody else. Right. I think, and that's, I think that's lost, again, a lot of people. You know, you're there to win the event. I think a lot of people are there for Instagram or maybe friends. <laughs> I, th- I think what I'm going to do is I, I, I'm j- just to just so we can sell some more of these things, John. I think I'm going to design some itty bitty short little bars that'll uh, that'll just attach to the um, just some plumbing pipe or whatever. I'll, I'll I'll stick some plumbing pipe in the end of these so you can you can slide the weight instead of having it seven feet out away from you where it looks really cool um, on, on each side on the Hercules hold. We'll just slide the plates all the way up against the lifter's feet, basically. And that way they can put a thousand pounds per side on there and then brag to everybody on Instagram about their thousand pound Hercules hold 
when we know it's actually horse shit, and then they can show up in contest and get destroyed. Yeah, uh, yeah I think people forget <clears throat> that there are uh, multiple variables. There's many ways to make an event more difficult, and for some reason we've gotten to the point where the only thing people want to do is just add weight to it. And um, at, at the, at the uh, expense of, of all other um, variables. So, for example, with, with the Hercules hold, they, they want the weight as close to them as possible and on some kind of pulley system where they can add the most amount of weight to it so they can say they have 500 pounds in hand. But in, even that's not enough because now they're going to want um, non-revolving handles that are, that are at a comfortable diameter with the perfect amount of knurling. You know, mm. and they're going to want all these things just so they can stack more weight. Say, so, hey, I got a seven hundred pound Hercules hold, and but but what did the straps? Number... They'll start using straps. Yeah, well, it'll get to that point. If if you set it up with straps, they would do it. <laughs> you know, that that's the thing. They would do it if they were if they were allowed. At which at that point it would become a measure of how long can your shoulders stay in socket, <laughs> right? Uh, and you know they if if you let them use a tacky towel they'd use the tacky towel on, on this thing, and but it it's just in search of that number they just want the number. It's an obsession over the number versus an obsession with actually getting stronger or being stronger or winning the event. I think no, numbers don't numbers don't always tell the story. A lot of times numbers don't tell the story at all. I think you can you can tell a lot. Um, by a person and you can tell a lot by um, who you're dealing with and 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 this also proves the point that people are obsessed with the numbers of certain um, implements and certain things people have in their gyms an inch dumbbell is a great example um, in this day and age because of this obsession with weight and now they've made everything easier so that you can add all this weight to it 172 pounds isn't a lot of weight so you don't see an obsession with people chasing after the inch dumbbell like they probably should, like picking it up or pressing it or whatever. Um, and I think it says a lot about a person. If, if you go to a gym and you see an inch dumbbell in that gym, you know there's some serious people there because they're more interested in the difficulty than the weight. And uh, I, I think you can you can kind of get that vibe. If you look at somebody's home gym or if you're watching one of these videos and you can kind of see what's going on in that room, you can get a vibe about what kind of person you're dealing with. And the inch dumbbell is a great example of that. It's only 172 pounds, but it's the handle that makes it difficult. Mm -hmm. It's that ridiculously big handle. And it's just crazy hard. And people that can deadlift eight or 900 pounds, some of them can't pick up the inch dumbbell. But it's only 172 pounds. You know, if it was a regular dumbbell, they might be able to chest press that, <laughs> you know, but they can't pick it up off the floor because of that handle. Uh, that's that that's that's cardio. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I can't do it and I suck at it. Therefore, it's cardio. You know, and uh, but but yeah, I think I think the inch dumbbell is a good example of that. Well, most grip stuff is a good example of that. I mean, you get like a hub lift. <laughs> that is why. Oh. They're, they're, you know, grip sport is a subdivision of strongman. Basically, at this point, there's, um, it, it has a smaller amount of people involved with it than in the actual sport of strongman. And I think a lot of the reason why is 
because it's so humbling. 45 pounds will stop you. <laughs> the hub lift is the least sexy lift of all time. <laughs> there is simply nothing appealing about the hub lift. I love, I love me some grip stuff, but allow me to go on record as saying, fuck that hub lift. <laughs> yeah. And I like the, um, I like the, uh, the actual hub lift, like picking up the actual plate. I think that's a cool little thing to do. The old deep dish um, York. Plates. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. a cool little thing to do. And you know, and it, I, like, I think the, uh, I like, the, I guess I like the idea of it more than the, um, action of it. Cause it was like this cool thing that came about, like you had these weight plates, you didn't have, you know, access to all these exercises like we do now. And it was like, we're going to come up with all the things we can possibly do with this weight plate. Hey, can you pinch the thing in the middle and lift it off the ground? That's pretty cool because you're, you're really making the most of all the stuff that you have. Um, so, so I think that's pretty cool. But again, it's very humbling. I mean, there are people that are pretty strong that can't hub lift a 10 or a 25, you know, and, and then on certain plates, it's even harder. I mean, a lot of the modern plates, you can't hub lift at all a 10 or whatever. It doesn't matter. You just can't pinch it. Um, But it's a difficulty. It's not the weight, you know, because the weight doesn't matter. What else are we going to talk about, John? Well, we have some adventures in pro wrestling to talk about. Oh, sweet Jesus. And I know you called for this earlier, so I'm going to tell this tale of pro wrestling tragedy that occurred in my life. Oh, allow me to do the intro here. So, we're, we're talking about around 2007, maybe 2000, probably about 2008, um, maybe, maybe even into 2009, I, I think at this point. And we were both involved in the pro wrestling world, um, but my, myself uh, very much of the uh, tanned and long flowing locks uh, persona and John very much more of a different persona and he actually had multiple personas uh, anybody who knows John from his pro wrestling days probably remembers him as Buttercup <laughs> and Buttercup was the homeless heroin addict and no folks I am not making this up so that was not the persona that was used in CPW out, out in the Eastern Panhandle, uh, around 2008, maybe 2009, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere in that era, mm-hmm. uh, you came up with a different persona, uh, either, and I can't remember if this was by your own, uh, by your own doing, mm-hmm. if they requested a different persona, if the Buttercup personality was not uh, PC enough, if it was, uh, you know, if it was, if it was too extreme for family friendly shows, which is what CPW was, uh, you know, pretty much built for. Uh, go ahead and tell us about the persona, the character that you built for that, and then what kind of resulted from that. Okay. So I, I may not remember all the details of the, how I came about this, but um, <clears throat> so the CPW was a very 80s style uh, wrestling promotion. You know, you didn't have a lot of high flyers, and um, the, the gimmicks were more... Uh, realistic i guess you know you didn't have like undertakers and stuff like you know dead guys coming to the ring and, you know they were fairly you know i you mean they have kane did not set the cameraman on fire with a lightning bolt in cpw so what you're saying you didn't see that papa shango wasn't in cpw cpw 
Um, you know, maybe he was. It was more like if you can imagine, um, like like Jeff Jarrett's and, and Hacksaw Jim Duggan types and stuff like that. And um, the wrestling style was even that. You know, you, like I said, you didn't have a lot of high flyers. People weren't like doing second rope pile drivers and stuff. It um, was much more traditional wrestling. You know, Southern wrestling style, NWA style, AWA style. Um, you know, Tennessee, Carolinas type of thing. Yeah. Much. Much more, um, much more horseman than it was uh, DX. Yes, and um, so when I was doing the, uh, there was several reasons here. I started um, when I was doing the heroin addict gimmick, the homeless guy. I had um, really long dreadlocks at that time period, and I had uh, cut those off right before I went to Potomac State. Possibly the greatest mistake of your life. <laughs> Probably there are some regrets there. <laughs> um, so. Uh, so my actual look changed. So I, I didn't know that I could pull that same gimmick off as well. Although I did still do a few shows down in uh, Huntington with the, the haircut, I believe. But um, anyway, so I had the shorter hair and uh, I went to this different wrestling promotion. So I thought, man, you know, they're not going to let me come in here as this like foul mouthed uh, homeless heroin addict because that, I mean, that's exactly what it was. And uh, so I had to change it. And um I had this music class, and the, the professor was great. He was awesome. Uh, it was Doc, Doc Hawkins. And um, we talked about this uh, German um, classic music song uh, about this creature called the Earl King. And it was this German folklore. And the Earl King was kind of like a, like a Krumpus or something. If, if, you don't, if you're not familiar with it, it's kind of like the Krumpus. And it was like this creature that would show up and like would could kidnap children and eat them or something or maybe it would eat their ears it was like some weird weird story and um there was a rumstein song uh, a, it was a strange story d- derived from some germans many centuries ago that were probably tripping balls on mushrooms or something <laughs> yeah basically and uh rumstein who was fairly popular at this point in time um did a song about the earl king and uh, it was kind of like a uh, a mix between the Earl King and that, uh, I believe it was uh, the Twilight Zone movie. So the, the the point of the song was the Earl King's like on the wing of this plane or something and it's messing with these people. But anyway, so I thought, man, I, w- I want to do like a, a German guy gimmick because that would go over well in this, this Southern style. I'm just like this German dude. I'm like a bad guy. I'm a heel, whatever. And um, the tie You're going in. all the way back to World War II <laughs> to, to try to get heat as a heel. John, John went back to 1945. <laughs> so, so I decided I'm going to use my real first name. I'm going to be John. I'm going to be John Earl King. And I'm going to be this, this German wrestler who's, who's a bad guy. And, um, you know, the, the, just the, the connotation that came with the Earl King name was kind of be going to be the selling point. I wasn't going to do some Undertaker's type thing. It was just like, hey, he's an, a, a German guy that's an asshole, basically. It's now, real now, simple stuff here, okay? <laughs> now, now, wait a minute. Now, now, you took it a step further because you, uh, I can't remember if you got it specifically for this gimmick, for this character, but you got boots that basically curled up on the ends like the old uh, uh, Iron Sheik boots, almost looked like horns, to try to make yourself look more demonic for this, right? Yeah, so I got, um, I changed my look completely from what was in the ring. When I was a homeless guy, I had these tattered up, uh, I think they were like Jinko jeans, <laughs> these tattered up Jinko jeans, and I wore a garbage bag for a shirt, and I had the dreadlocks and stuff. And, and there was, did, did there y'all was catch more. that? 
<laughs> I, I want to go ahead and reiterate that, that as Buttercup, the homeless heroin addict, John wore a trash bag for a shirt. <laughs> go ahead and let that sink in. We will talk more on another podcast in the future about the Buttercup character. Right now, we're going to talk about this Earl King character. So, John, I will turn it back over to you. Um, yeah, so, you know, uh, garbage bag is a cheap, <laughs> it's a pretty cheap wrestling outfit. But anyway, so uh, I bought these. They weren't chic boots. They were actually Abdullah the Butcher boots. So they didn't curl up quite to the same point, but they had like a hook on them. Yeah, and, I, and they were red and black. And then I had um, a red and black singlet. And this was my tribute to um, two different wrestlers that I really liked. So I wore a singlet with pants on, kind of like Bret Hart. But my pants were more closely, uh, looked more like uh, Sabu's from ECW, uh, or ECW fame. He was all, he's been all over the place. But, and then they were tucked into these Abdullah, the butcher boots. So I had a really big spectrum of tribute to pro wrestling in the, at this point. And, you know, so I go to the promoter and I tell him like, Hey, and this is, this, all this stuff happens the day of the show. Like there's not a lot of conversation going on between like you show up the day of the show. This is actually my first show. With CPW, I went to their wrestling school a little bit, and then showed up the day of the show. They were like, "What's your entrance music?" I gave them the Rumstein song. We had chopped it up and edited it to make it cool. We had this little intro to it. Use the Rumstein so song. You even customized the song. Yeah, yeah. And, you took uh, the actual. You took the. You took the German song by a German band about this German legend. You. You, you chopped it up to make it sound the way that you wanted. You had your custom made uh, boots. You had the pants. You had the you had the whole look going. You know you were ready to represent this gimmick uh, to play on this this legendary Earl King creature. Yes. <laughs> so then, um, you know, I take my card. You you have a card, and you take it back to the uh, the promoter. <clears throat> um, uh, the show and you give them the card and it's got your name, your, your wrestling, your work name, your wrestling name. And then like, uh, you know, the stuff that the, the announcer is going to read. Right. And on the card, I put John J O H N Earl King E R, uh, L K I N G. Okay. One word, Earl King German word, give them the card. And that's that, you know, you go back to the locker room, you're talking to the guys. It's like, um, and now this is my first show, so I'm, I'm basically a curtain jerk. And I think I was like the first or second match, right? And uh, they announce, um, I don't remember who came out first. Um, I, I suspect it was probably me. And then uh, I was wrestling a guy named uh, Warlock. And <laughs> my music hits, the announcer's on the mic, and he announces me as John Earl king <laughs> now, now there's there's some subtlety to this so let me repeat that he doesn't say john earl king he says here is john earl king <laughs> like three names john earl last name king <laughs> so so now immediately, oh. oh, this is great. I'm coming to the ring. You're getting the scoop, ladies and gentlemen. Now I'm headed to the ring. There's there the, the train has left the station. Okay, there's <laughs> there's no going back. I'm coming out of the curtain, <laughs> wearing this spooky red and black with these Abdullah the Butcher. If you don't know who Abdullah the Butcher is, just go take the time. Pause this. Google it, go to images, look at the boots. 
Um, so I'm coming out. And look at that motherfucker's forehead. Looking like some kind of German uh, supervillain. And the crowd thinks I'm supposed to be a hillbilly. <laughs> because John Earl King was coming to the ring and not John Earl King. <laughs> so there's mass confusion, okay? Like the crowd doesn't know what to think. They don't know what to think anyway. This is my first time wrestling in front of a CPW crowd. <laughs> But I, I go to the ring, and then the warlock comes out, and uh, basically, uh, you know, he he won he won the match that night. He was the he'd been there longer than me. He won the match, and uh, I was doomed for the rest of my days to, to work that circuit up in the uh, Kaiser Romney and Moorfield area. It's John Earl the Redneck. <laughs> so they took they took this gimmick in one fell swoop and ladies and gentlemen this is why you need a quality announcer for all of your events contact Paul me right here mauserpower.com to be the announcer at your events because a quality announcer can really make your event and a bad announcer can really break it you put all this effort all this thought there, there was some deep thought here there was some research, and you customized you customized your outfit. You 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 customized your music so that you could be this this very much uh, evil, uh, cunning, conniving uh, creature mm-hmm. that you know based on something that steals children. The, the, this evil creature, and and you have this this very intimidating look. You, you know, you, you've you've always been a, a a pretty large dude, not not as big as you are now, but uh, you know, back then still, you know, at at, at six five and probably what you know two sixty. So yeah, I was two, I was two sixty five at that time. Two two sixty five at the time, so it's still at a, a very imposing figure. Add in the boots, add in the look, add in everything <clears> that you put together, and and the music on top of that, and then in one fell swoop, they took all of that tossed it in the trash, <laughs> reached into a hat, and pulled out a hillbilly gimmick. <laughs> yep. With only a subtle nuance, a subtle change in the way that everything was said when you were announced as John Earl King is coming to the ring. <laughs> you know, I mean, at that point, you know, was there ever a thought after that of just ditching all your gear, <laughs> buying into it, and coming out, coming out the next weekend in like bib overalls. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I hadn't thought about it, but um, if if I thought I could find bib overalls for a guy that's six five, I might have done it. <laughs> I'm telling you, you you, you should have you get yourself uh, some wading boots, <laughs> bib overalls. Come out to the ring with a fishing pole. The the nobody's nobody uses a fishing pole as a foreign object, man. You could have been the first guy using a fishing pole as a foreign object. I will t- tell you what, the, the most disappointing thing was he's gonna hook him. He's gonna hook him with the fishing pole. <laughs> the most disappointing thing I think was the fans couldn't have been disappointed because they didn't know what was going on. I was the one that was disappointed. <laughs> I had, and then I had to wrestle after that. <laughs> I had to work a match after that. <laughs> oh man, yeah. So no, actually, actually, and here's a fun fact. 
I, now I haven't been on the site in a, in a while. It's been years, but you can all those match all those shows are recorded and online on the CPW website. Really? Yeah, I don't know how well they're archived or how well they're labeled, but you should be able to go on there and travel back to 2008 or whatever. Um, I, I couldn't begin to tell you the month or anything. You'd have to dig through there, but that match is somewhere. That whole show is somewhere on the CPW website, assuming they're still around. I didn't know that. <clears throat> yeah. Because I worked, I worked what, uh, at least one, if not a couple of shows for CPW. Yeah, you worked the first show that occurred while I was up there. Um, or maybe, I guess it was the second show, probably, because I had to have found out about them first. Um, uh, at the Kaiser Fire Hall. And you worked that show. Right, I worked uh, uh, Chucky Wynn. Yeah, Remember yeah, Chucky yeah, Wynn? Chucky Wynn, yeah, you worked that show. Chucky Wynn, he, he, he had, uh, it was it was a bright yellow singlet. My lord, it could have, it blind you. He <laughs> looked like a giant banana. Yeah, I, I'm willing to bet that that um, is on there. And if that's the case, we have to dig that up so that we can see, um, everybody can see what Paul Mauser looked like uh, as an American gladiator <laughs> with his flowing blonde Shawn Michaels hair. <laughs> <laughs> No, it wasn't blonde. It wasn't blonde. <laughs> it was blonde at one point. <laughs> that was that was that was that was quite a few years before before going pro, I think. But uh, yeah, Ch- Chucky Win, man, that, you know, it was a good time. I, I really I enjoyed the match. I enjoyed being there. I thought it well, I thought it was a good environment, and uh, was was happy to be there, and uh, really had a had a cool time with CPW. It was a change of pace. Because you and I had become very accustomed to anything goes type of shows where you weren't restricted on what you could say. You weren't restricted on what sort of gestures you could make. So myself often work and heal, uh, you know, down in uh, southern part of the state, you know, Huntington area and stuff. Um, you know, I'd say some pretty nasty things. <laughs> And so would you. Uh, so some pretty epically uh, vulgar things, and you know to go out to uh, CPW, which is very much you know a PG thirteen traditional style. It's basically uh, the wrestling. opposite. Yeah, it's basically the opposite. And uh, you know, say, okay, so you know, no no gesturing towards your junk, no no flipping people the bird, no no dropping f bombs and that sort of thing. So you really had to uh, mind your mind your p's and q's and make sure not to fall into the old habits. Uh, that had been built up from working some of these uh, <laughs> these more outlaw style anything goes type of shows. Yeah, it was a good time though. Um, <clears throat> they had a pretty good little uh, circuit they ran up there. Like I said, they they did Moorfield and Kaiser and Romney and a couple other places, and um, <clears throat> those were uh, good solid crowds. You got the same crowd, the same people showed up all the time. I mean, th- now we're not talking WWE size shows here. These were lo- these were local indie shows. But the crowd was always good, and um, the promoters actually treated you pretty well. I mean, there's a lot of scumbag promoters in uh, pro wrestling. What? And by a lot, I mean the majority. <laughs> and um, the CPW wasn't like that. They were pretty legitimately ran, and they actually cared um, about the, the wrestlers and stuff. I think that was one of the reasons they had that old, more old-school style, because they actually didn't want you to get hurt. Yeah, and, and I tell um, you what, another thing about CPW, their ring... Their ring bumped like a dream. 
Yeah, they they had, and I didn't do as many shows as you, but they had probably the best <clears throat> wrestling ring um, that I'd ever been in. Like, period. It, it, it felt like taking a bump on that felt like taking a bump on a pile of pillows c- compared to some of the other rings we'd been in. Yeah, well, I mean, there were shows that I did where I was the majority of my <laughs> match was on a concrete floor. So. <laughs> <laughs> some of those some of those rings felt like a concrete floor. Um, yeah, so do you have a story to uh, tell here about wrestling? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, somehow this was brought up earlier. We talked about, uh, oh, I don't know, maybe, maybe my uh, th- my thousand and one different uh, injury stories of, of how I was maimed and crippled in pro wrestling. Um, a lot of people think that, uh, you know, I've beat my body up via, via strongman. But really, that's not so much the case. I beat myself up doing pro wrestling. Wait, it wasn't Steinborn squats and steel bar bending? You know, it must have been. Maybe subconsciously I was doing those things back, you know. Even uh, thinking and, about it is dangerous. Yeah, I, I, I think so. So, you know, I, I probably I probably shattered all the vertebrae, you know, the, the four vertebrae or whatever that I've, I've fractured in my life. It was probably because of Steinborns instead of, uh, instead of being tossed around by, uh, you know, Seven foot, four hundred pound monsters. So. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so get to the story here. What's uh? So I I'm I'm working a match here. And my this my, was in Ohio, I believe. Let's see. Now this this one was in Huntington. This mm. this was for three hundred four in Huntington, and I'm working a match with. I want to say it's Brian Masters, and Brian Master Brian Masters was a fun guy to work with. There were two masters, right? Wasn't yeah, yeah. Bri- Brian and yeah. Billy Masters. They they were a tag team, very much sort of like a a, a couple of badasses, a couple of uh, you know like almost like a Stone Cold Steve Austin type of gimmick. You know, a couple guys that didn't take shit from anybody, and um, they they you know they'd come out and pound a few beers uh, with the crowd, and uh, just just got you know guys that you just really wanted to like, and you really wanted mm-hmm. to get behind them, and they they made great baby faces uh, for that area. Um, they looked the part. They looked like a couple of tough guys. Looked like a couple of guys that uh, you wouldn't want to eat a knuckle sandwich from. And I, I really, uh, I, I like, I liked working with uh, with both of those guys. Well, I believe it was, I believe it was Billy Masters that I was working, and uh, no Brian. I believe it was Brian Masters. And I'm I'm up on the top rope. And anybody who's ever watched any extensive amount of wrestling has seen someone get crotched on the uh, uh, on the top rope and you know on the turnbuckle. Uh, somebody cl- somebody climbs the turnbuckle. Another guy hits the ropes or knocks their feet out, and they drop straight down and they get crotched on the uh, on the turnbuckle. Now hold on, I gotta interrupt you. <clears throat> if any of you listening right now have seen Paul Mauser, and you probably have at these shows and stuff, you know him hobbling around <laughs> and uh you know <laughs> tripping and falling at the blizzard and things like that um you're probably finding it hard to believe that paul mauser climbed to the top rope of a pro wrestling ring um <laughs> now this was a long time ago. this is back when paul was at his prime okay <laughs> many moons ago and this is part of the reason why he hobbles around now <laughs> So yeah, back in back in more athletic times, uh, I I I was very nimbly up to the top rope. Um, probably wouldn't happen that way today. 
And uh, sure enough, here comes Brian Masters, knocks my feet out from under me, and I come down on the turnbuckle. Now, here's what you don't know if you've never been in a wrestling ring. The steel ring post that's in each corner, that's what the actual metal, the steel turnbuckle piece attaches to, and the ropes attach to that. In order to tighten the ropes to make the ring look the way that it looks when you see it, make sure the rings, the ropes are tight and they're not just flopping around, they tighten those turnbuckles. Okay, if you don't know what a turnbuckle is, look it up. That's what Google's for. So, anyway, there is a steel ring welded onto the ring post, and that's what that's what the turnbuckle attaches to. So you can tighten the turnbuckle. It's got to attach there, and it's got to attach to the ropes. When he knocks my feet out from under me, instead of coming straight down, I somehow, some way, float backwards a little bit. Okay? So so my derriere, my rump, if you will. Uh, we're getting vulgar here. All right? <laughs> we're, we're with the... Put the kids to bed because I'm, I'm using the adult language, okay? My derriere transitions backward during this fall. So I go back a little bit as I'm going down. Now, let's revisit what I said about that ring post. There is a steel ring that, that is welded onto that ring post that attaches to that steel turnbuckle, okay? When you get crotched on the top rope, you are not supposed to translate your body backwards. And that's what I did. Now, imagine how well that ring post and that little steel ring that's welded onto the ring post, imagine how well those items got to know me <laughs> when my rectum came down directly onto the turnbuckle and that steel ring coming off the ring post shot directly into my tailbone and shattered it into a thousand pieces. <laughs> and, and that might be slight exaggeration, but he actually did break his tailbone. Oh yes. It it was broken indeed. So you know, not I'm in the middle of a match, you know, I don't know the extent of the injuries, and at that point I really don't care. You're in the match, you know, I didn't get into pro wrestling to uh uh, to be a wimp or, or to half-ass it. Um, it, it hurt. It, I definitely felt a sensation. <laughs> I would imagine that the expression on my face was very interesting at that moment. But we continue the match. and uh, The what, show must go on. The show must go on. Um, I'm so there. I am crotched, uh, sitting on the top rope, and here here comes Brian Masters, and 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 uh, you know he's doing his thing, and he's he's punching me or whatever. I'm punching him. He he climbs up, and uh, you know he climbs up to the second rope. I think I think we're teasing a superplex spot, if I'm not mistaken. There, um, we may have been teasing the superplex. Anyway, I counter, knock him off. He hits the mat. He's laying there. And so my next move naturally, after shattering my tailbone and being sodomized by the ring post, <laughs> is to go ahead and stand back up on the top rope and fly off with the flying leg drop of death. <laughs> so with a shattered tailbone, here, here I come, leaping off the top rope halfway across the damn ring and land 
the uh, the flying guillotine leg drop. Probably one of the worst decisions I've ever made in my life, but it had to happen. <laughs> so that so that, so that's the tale of how I was sodomized by a ring post and how I shattered my tailbone and had to sit sideways at work uh, during the week because uh, you know during. D- on on the weekends I was playing pro wrestler and on and and and, and during the week I had a sit down job uh you know office job and I could not sit normally in my chair I had to sit to one side I had to alternate sides so I you know I'd, I'd sit for 20, 20 minutes or so on my left side and then twenty minutes or so on my right side then I'd stand up for twenty minutes or so and once I got tired of standing up I'd sit back down on one side and back and forth I think at one point I may have gotten a hemorrhoid pillow. <laughs> well there you have it um <laughs> came off the top broken tailbone still jumps off the top rope and this was not the cpw ring that was fun to land in Mm-mm. and um this Mm-mm. is a much stiffer ring and basically jumps off the top rope landing once again purposefully what is tailbone this time and uh another thing you don't know about um Paul Mauser, you saw the vertical height that he got at the blizzard when he slipped and fell on the boards, <laughs> but <laughs> that was an accidental, uh, accidental vertical. But back in the day, <laughs> Paul had a pretty significant vertical jump. Um, he was actually known before we went pro during our uh, backyarding and amateur days for the height he could get on his leg drops, even a standing leg drop just from the ground, let alone off the ropes, and also for the height he could get on his frog splash. Um, so this wasn't just a lazy, hey, I'm going to step off the top rope style leg drop. I mean, I, I would say, you know, he was <laughs> 36 to 48 inches above, <laughs> above the top rope. Uh you know, sailing forward two to three feet and then plummeting onto his tailbone. And that just goes to show that kids, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. Because I think I would have been much better served probably to not jump off the rope at all uh, at that point. But if I was going to have to do it, I probably should have phoned it in a little bit. But it just wasn't my style at the time. Yeah, but if you hadn't, we wouldn't have this story. <laughs> yeah, if I hadn't done it, we wouldn't have this story, and my back probably uh, wouldn't still be hurting to this day. Uh, and that's how I shattered the first of four uh, different um, bones in you know in my spinal column. The you know the tailbones in the spinal column. Uh, the the rest of them were further north. But that, that, I believe, was the first. Yeah, it, doing a Steinborn squat on the top rope was the first. Top rope and, Steinborns, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then he did a Zercher squat and broke the second one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's the end of the story there. Um, so what else do we have left to talk about? Are we going to get to this movie review? We, we, are almost, we are over 90 minutes. We're almost at the 100-minute mark, and we have not done the movie review. Let's do the movie review. Let's just do it right now. We're, we're going to get right into this. Super Troopers 2. Okay, true story about this. I kind of had to talk my wife into watching this one. Uh, my, my, my lovely, beautiful wife, Nicole Mauser, she had recently seen 
um, the new Amy Schumer flick, the uh, I Feel Pretty movie with with a friend. One of the very rare opportunities she got to go uh, hang out with you know with one of her lady friends and check out a movie, and she liked it. She said it was great. She said you're gonna like it too. Let's go watch that because we we had a date night planned. We said okay, the, you know one of our one of our two date nights that we get a year. Um, said okay. And normally, I'm not the guy that protests going to see a movie. If the wife wants to see a movie, then by golly, we're going to go see what she wants to watch. Here was the problem. Here was the only, only issue. And I had to tiptoe around this to make sure I pitched this correctly. Was that Super Troopers 2 had just opened up. And the Avengers had just opened up. Now, if I'm faced with, with the choice of watching... Uh, I feel pretty. Super Troopers two, which we had all fan, fans of the original had all waited what ten plus years or whatever. Oh, I think it was well over. Uh, 10. Might, might yeah, been, well over ten years. Gosh, might have been fifteen. Years. I don't know. It, it was somewhere between ten and fifteen years. We'd waited for the sequel, um, and the Avengers uh, movie, the Infinity War movie, which was the culmination, literally the culmination of everything that the Marvel Universe had been building up to for the last 10 years. And these two, you know, those two movies were out. And then it's like, so when she pitched me to go see that one, I didn't want to say no. I didn't want to be that guy because I've never been that guy. I've never been the guy that's like, oh, I'm I'm too manly to watch romantic comedies or whatever and all this kind of stuff, right? Um, so... I just kind of laid it out like I like I laid it out here. I said, you know what? Um, I'm cool with going to see that, but these other movies are out. Um, it, they're, they're pretty significant. Um, if you would consider watching one of these, I, you know, I, I, I think that would be cool since you already saw this other one. We can watch it together when it comes out on Netflix or what have you. And she was totally cool with it. And she said, you know what? Yeah, let's let's watch the original. So what we did was we watched the original Super Troopers um, like the night before or something uh, after this conversation. She was like, okay, let's watch the original and, and see if I'm, you know, see if it's as funny as I, as I remember it being. And, you know, if we have a good time, we'll go watch uh, the sequel. And so we popped in the original. It stands the test of time. That movie stands the test of time. Okay, so the original Super Troopers, we popped it in, we watched it again some, you know, million years later after we'd originally seen it, and it was funny as fuck. So (laughs) we were very happy about that, and she said, okay, we'll do it. We'll we'll watch Super Troopers too. So that's how I actually got to go see the movie. That's quite the story. Uh, Yeah, that that has nothing to do with the movie itself, but that's just um, married guys out there are going to appreciate that. All right, well, let's get to the bulk of it. I mean, the review. Um, I watched the movie as well. I watched it, uh, I think I watched it the either the day it came out or the day after it came out. I can't remember. Um, I snuck in and watched an early showing at the theater. There weren't that many people there. Lucked out. Um, but I liked it. I, I, you know, I don't think it was as good as the original, but that, you know, that rarely happens. It was a pretty good movie. Pretty funny. <clears throat> um, maybe a little slow to start, but it really picks up steam. Uh it's got um, what's his name, Rob Lowe in it. 
Rob, Rob Lowe that is dude, in the movie. That dude is awesome. So, just, you know, he's like one of those dudes. He doesn't even have to do anything. He just shows up on screen and you're like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Rob Lowe's here. <laughs> this just got better. Yeah. This party just got better. I thought it was pretty good. And then the uh, <laughs> the, the plot, uh, the overall plot, I don't want to give anything away, but it's like pretty unique, I think. Kind of strange. And it leads to a lot of really cool, uh, you know, uh, comedy situations. Yeah, I thought it was a very well-written movie. It had an interesting plot, an interesting, you know, that made, I mean, as much as it could in, in such a wacky comedy, it made sense. Um, the characters were spot on. Uh, Farva in particular, if you remember Officer Farva from the first one, um, if you don't, then you probably didn't watch the movie. Uh, you know, he's back, and I gotta say, I actually enjoyed him more in the sequel than I did in the original. He he brought that character back, and knocked it out of the park. Yeah, I would say he did a great great job. He he was definitely one of the better best characters in the in the show, and uh, it was great. And and his character in particular, I think, went really well with the the wacky storyline and you know where they were located and stuff. Um, pretty pretty solid movie. I mean, I, I would recommend recommend watching it for sure. Yeah, I think uh, y- you know. A lot of times the comedies, especially the you know they say that the, the sequel's never as good as the original, yada yada yada, um, you know. And a lot of times for comedies that does ring true. Uh, I, I will I will I will concede that a lot of times for comedies it definitely rings true, and a lot of times for comedies the sequels just, I mean they stink sometimes. You know, uh, they they just try to they just try to play off the nostalgia of the first one. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, without actually delivering new material, new jokes and whatnot. Uh, this one delivered a lot of, a lot of good stuff. There was a, a, I think everyone's heart was in it. I think you can tell that the, the cast really wanted to do this. I think the cast had a good time doing this. Um, and the right, the writing was on point. Um, it really had, it really carried over the feel from the first one. Uh, there wasn't uh, there wasn't some dramatic change in the characters where the, you know a lot of times they'll take it they'll take a character you know and just completely you know re- rewrite the character and like well hell that's not that's not this character at all yeah you know but no the the, char- the characters was a great continuation from the first one uh, lots of laughs um, like I said a pre- pretty cool plot and. Uh, I was happy with it. We, we we both got lots of laughs, and that's and that's what you're there for, you know. If if you're if you're going to uh, if you're going to watch Super Troopers too, you can't ask for a, any more than getting some good laughs. Yeah, I think um, you know you said that the um, the cast was really into the movie or whatever. Uh, I don't know if you knew this or not. Um, I'm pretty sure that the whole movie was crowdfunded. So they actually set up like one of those um, crowdfunding or like GoFundMe type things. Mm-hmm. Um, and people donated and, and gave money, and uh, it's actually it's actually very quick too. I think it was just a few days, and they raised, they hit their goal number, and and they made the movie, and it came out. And um, it, I don't know if it was like during the crowdfunding or once they hit their goal or whatever, but they released like a statement, and it, they said basically, "Hey, we're making this movie. It's like we're trying to have fun. It's just a fun movie. It's going to be fun." And like that was what it was all about. These guys just wanted to get back together. They wanted to have fun making the movie. They wanted to make a fun movie for everybody else. And then, um, I mean, obviously they didn't have the funding to do it, so they crowdfunded and made it happen for the fans. So, 
Um, you talked about Rob Lowe. Uh, what about Sean William Scott? Sean <laughs> yeah. William Scott Scott is in the movie. I'm not, I'm not going to give her anything away. We're not here to give spoilers out. But Sean William Scott has uh you know he has a role in the movie, and it was cool to see him. Uh, yeah, yeah. In that. Cool. Uh, so what are was that was that all our topics or? Well, that's kind of an anticlimactic way to end the, end the <laughs> podcast, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is. Um, can, can we get can we get like some fireworks and some pyro to kind of kind of carry us out here? Um, well, we're in an undisclosed location. Um, that would probably give us give us away. Uh, is this parts unknown? <laughs> this is. We are hailing from parts unknown. <clears throat> um, I feel like we started on a controversial note. I feel like we talked through a lot of controversy. We talked through some, some yeah, deep topics concerning uh, concerning strongman and, and, and strength stuff. And I think we ended on a pretty positive note here. I think we ended on, on a happy note. Yeah. I mean, super troopers, man. I kind of feel like I want to get a big plate of food and watch a movie now. <laughs> That's how I feel all the time. When you're over 300 pounds, I mean, that's all you can pretty much get done in a day. <laughs> <laughs> and even that's cardio. <laughs> I am the best static movie watcher that there is. <laughs> static movie watching. <clears throat> well, I think that's a good way to wrap up the podcast today. Um, <clears throat> again, this is uh, John the Viking with the Get Strong or Die podcast. Special guest, Paul Mauser. He'll be back on here joining us again, I'm sure. Um, wanted to touch on a few things. We talked about the Hercules hold, the deep waters Hercules hold. You can Kaboom. pick it up at mauserpower.com. It's very portable. That's the selling point. You can take this thing, you can stick it in a closet even. Um, <clears throat> we also have the Appalachian Team Championships. That is this Saturday at the Three Rivers Festival in Fairmont, uh, Palatine Park. Come check it out. It's um, one of the only team strongman competitions in the nation. It's the championships for this region. Come check it out. You will not be disappointed. Um, if you can't make it out, check the hashtags. There will be videos everywhere on Instagram, YouTube. They'll be popping up on Facebook. Check those videos out because you don't want to miss the action there. Um, and then after the uh, team championships this month, um, we go, what's the next one? Is that the Viking Highlander in July? Oh, well, I, I tell you what, we have a stop in uh, at Braxton County High for the high school power combine. Uh, that is in mid-June, June, June uh, 16th, 17th. Um, you kind of caught me off guard. I, I, I uh, can't remember the dates offhand because it is literally like 2 o'clock in the morning. Um, and then, yeah, after that, uh, July 7th and 8th is the summer raid weekend. With USA Powerlifting on day one and the Viking Highlander on day two. Second scoop for anybody who listened this far into the podcast, uh, congratulations. You got some good stuff. You're welcome. And also, uh, another scoop for you, another bomb to drop here. I am going to announce soon that we are going to offer a Stumpy Press Record Breakers opportunity at the Viking Highlander. Nice. So that'll actually put, uh, we'll have six events then um, during the Highland thing. Right. This, this, the Stumpy Press will be, a, it'll be a non-scored event. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it'll, be a, it'll be a separate event from the Highlander scoring, but it'll be an opportunity there for people who want to take it. 
And um, if you're not familiar with what the Stumpy is, it is the um, circus dumbbell or one-arm press, whatever you want to call it, uh, for the state of West Virginia. It's what all the state records are held on, but it's not just a dumbbell. It's basically half of a log. So it's got one handle on it. You stick your hand into the log, you grab the handle, and you press it overhead. Doesn't you, There's no circus dumbbell that looks this cool. And if you want one, um, hit us up at mauserpower.com. Get a hold of us. Paul Mauser makes those. And, um, yeah, get your hands on one of those bad boys. Even if you're not competing, you know, it, it's just a great piece of equipment to have. There's a lot of stuff you can do with it. You'll get real strong. Nothing like lifting a tree. I, ju- I actually just sent a uh, a brand new stumpy off to my off to my boy Lemmy. Lemmy. Cool. Well, that's the scoop for now. Um, again, John the Viking Mal- John the Viking Mauser, Paul Mauser, get strong or die.